0: The Rich and Mike Show, Flagler County's hometown sports show. Here are your hosts, Rich Carroll and Mike Licio. Yes, it's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Good Saturday morning, Flagler County. And a good Saturday morning to you, Mike Licio. Hello, and Merry Christmas,
1: Flagler County.
0: Yes, Merry Christmas. It's a Christmas spectacular show. This is the world-famous, Mike, Christmas Eve's Eve. Right, right. I, I always grew up with that. You had Christmas Eve, but even Christmas Eve, Eve, we were we were excited for. So and that's what today is, December 23rd to me, just as exciting as December 24th. Or maybe I'm overstating it.
1: No, I'm with you there. I think very much so that it's an exciting day. And, you know, it's kind of a work day for me. I'm going to get prepped on. I got a lot of cooking going on tomorrow for Christmas Eve, Rich. Got a lot to go going on. I'm going to have to start prepping for today to make sure I can pull it off tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll have, you know, as as you know, at the Licio House, there's always a bunch of people over. There was a bunch of people over last night. There'll be a bunch more tonight, and then Lord knows how many people will be at my house tomorrow.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's usually a bunch of children, right? And and of course, Christmas, a big uh, children holiday, so I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of excited kids running around, huh?
1: The old saying goes that there's always children at my house, and some of them are even mine. We'll have nieces, we'll have (laughs) We'll have cousins, kids, and it'll be a blast. You know, it's the best time of the year, you know, and it's a great time to be with the family for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, and my wife, uh, Sharon Carroll, of course, producer on the WNZF Sports Network, all of our uh, broadcasts there, the camera work, the whole thing. She's been going crazy with the baking, the cookies, the cupcakes, and spreading them all over town. So uh, she's been into that Christmas cheer as well. So, you know, we're we're excited about it, pumped up for Christmas Day, and, of course, the new year coming up. It's been a great year. We talked about it for the WNZF Sports Network. We were at FPC earlier this week for their victory. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. A lot of stuff going on here locally. Of course, the big news coming out with the FHSAA uh, and their uh, release of the 2024 through 2026 football classification. So we're going to get into all of that. That, of course, is the big story. A whole lot of changes. Uh, So, Mike, I'll, I'll... Give you the floor. What's going on here locally?
1: Well, let me start by saying thank you for the cookies, Sharon. (laughs) My mom used to make those. She doesn't anymore, but they were really good, and so brought back a lot of happy memories for me and have thoroughly enjoyed getting off my diet for the last couple days and wolfing down some cookies. So thank you there. Last week, the FHSAA Board of Directors voted with little notice and little public discussion and little input from the outside world to go back to the original eight classification football system. Previously, there had been eight classes. This the, About two years ago, they changed it to still have eight classes, but four metro classes, which were all the large cities. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it over and over again. But think Orlando, Tampa, St. Pete, the three South Florida counties, Broward, Palm Beach, and um, Dade County. Duval County, which is Jacksonville, and of course, for some reason, Seminole County. But they went away from that, and I wasn't expecting it to happen this quickly, but yesterday, they went ahead and released, at about 10 o'clock yesterday morning, they went ahead and released the new classifications and the new districts. And I got to tell you, you know, for one of the county schools, not a surprise. For the other, a little bit of a surprise, not so much in... Just the way it ended up, not so much in the classifications they ended up in. I kind of expected them to be where they were there, but you know who they ended up with. So I won't delay any further. I'll go right into it. There's going to be 1A through 7A, and then there's a rural classification that's reserved for the 32 – I think it's the 30 – I believe it is the 32 smallest schools. So 1A through 7A, the bigger your enrollment, the higher your number is. So FPC in the largest classification, Class 7A. Matanzas in the third largest, which is Class 5 A. And I'll start with FPC because you know, this was kind of chalk to me. This was a this is how I expected this district or hoped this district would work out for them. It puts them back in a district with teams that they're familiar with, teams that are in the area, teams that make sense. So their district is going to have four teams, which is something else I like. One of the reasons we went to this classification system in the first place, was to get rid of the 3 and 2 and 3 team districts that has changed there are some three team districts we'll get into that but FPC is in a four team district and I like that and I like the district they're in it's a tough district but I've delayed enough here's who it is with FPC Deland Spruce Creek and University so very good teams. Two of those teams made the playoffs in university and Deland. land made it deep into the playoffs university coming off their best season in school history and Spruce Creek. They're always tough. Coach Andy Price does a great job there. And like I said, it just, it feels, this district feels like home. FPC kind of shuffled around through the years. Uh, when I first started doing games in WNZF, their district was three teams, Fleming Island, Fletcher, which is in Neptune Beach, which is actually in northern Duval County and FPC. So it was a pretty spread out district that didn't make any sense. They bounced around. They've had Seminole and Lake Mary in their district before. But at the end of the day, this is kind of the core teams that FPC should be with. And It's not an easy district by any stretch of the imagination, but it just makes sense. Doesn't it, Rich? Yeah. I like the teams that you and I have done through the years.
0: For sure. It's been a while since we did university. We were talking about it before the show, but uh, you know, Deland obviously has been the annual game at the end of the year that we uh, uh, see FPC play. I think we've been out to, what is that spec Martin stadium uh, a couple of times, which is a fantastic (laughs) place to go call a football game. So Uh, And and this past year, DeLand actually came out uh, to FPC to finish the season. So very familiar with those Bulldogs and Spruce Creek. And I really like the the four-team district a lot. It's going to be competitive. It's It's a district that I believe the Bulldogs, when they're at their best, as they build this thing up with Coach Fish, in the coming years, and 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 we've seen uh, FPC field some good teams over the years. I think they'll have a shot at winning this district. Hey, they're a couple of years removed from being district champions. So uh, the four teams I like, I, I like the teams that are in here. And like you said, it just it feels right when you see Deland, Spruce Creek, and and University with FPC. So I, I was really really happy to see this district, and I think it's going to be entertaining seeing the Bulldogs. Uh, play these teams for the next couple of years.
1: And then spreading it out to the region because, you know, your region is who makes up your playoff opponents. If you make the playoffs, one thing is that the regions were usually between about 17 and 20 teams. This region has 16. Matanzas's region we'll get to in a moment only has 14. So the regions are a little smaller and I haven't had a chance to really get any input from the FHSAA, how that worked out. But for FPC, this region is a lot easier on the travel. Remember that with the with the suburban class last year, FPC's region stretched from Niceville, just outside of Pensacola, all the way down to FPC. Oh, we year, know that all
0: too well, don't we, Mike? With the yes, amount of we traveling do. we did this past season.
1: This year there's four districts. The first district is is two Jacksonville schools and a St. John School. Then you have FPC's district two. The third district is two Seminole County schools and then Lake Mary, three Seminole County schools in Haggerty, Lake Mary, and Seminole, and then Lake Brantley, which is just over the line in Orange County. So that made sense to me. And then the fourth district is a five-team district and it's all Orlando schools. So it really makes a lot of sense, that region. And so I'm glad to see that they got that right. The good news is, The bad news is Seminole and Lake Mary are both in that region. Fortunately for them, Apopka is not. Mm. And neither is Mandarin, who made it all the way to the state championship. So this is a region that looks competitive, but it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. Now let's shift our focus to the north. And let's talk about the Matanzas Pirates, because this district has a lot of the things that you and I don't like. About the current system, it has three team districts. It has teams that are spread out, and we'll start right with Matanzas district. It has three. Matanzas is in a three-team district, and and those three teams are Matanzas, of course, Mainland, and Bellevue. Bellevue is in Sumter County, um, about thirty minutes south of Ocala, so it's a little bit out of the way. It really feels like this district, they just kind of threw three teams together that they had no place to put. Mm. You know, Daytona and mainly the Matanzas being in the same district, that makes sense. The schools are 30 minutes apart, neighboring counties. They've been a district opponent before. But Bellevue is just a throw in on a three team district. And this district only has 14 teams. So that's a positive for Matanzas too, because Bellevue is a perennial playoff team not what i'd call a power but they make the playoffs fairly consistently and then of course mainland last missed the playoffs when i was in seventh grade and the last two years they've gone to the state championship they've won it this past year so that's going to keep matanzas's hands full and again but on the flip side of that only two district games that gives matanzas some flexibility with their schedule, mm. maybe too much flexibility. It's hard to find eight opponents. I just gonna have
0: to I can't stand but, the idea of a three-team district, though, Mike. And what drive? Maybe maybe there's a simple answer to this question. Maybe it, you know it, it. It's a geographical thing. But I look at the the uh, the the district above and below. Right, uh, Matanzas District Four. Look at District Three. You have uh, Beachside, Fleming Island, Middleburg, Orange Park, and Ponte Vedra. You got five teams in that district. Why can't you just take one of the teams from that district, put them in District Four, and now you have two four-team districts? I don't, I, I don't really understand why something like that is not po- possible to have such an uneven amount of teams in in the different districts. It just, I, I don't know how that makes sense. <laughs> make it make sense, Mike.
1: Well, i I would go with geography. Right. But with the caveat that the district that they ended up with in District 4 doesn't make ge- geographical sense for Mainland and Matanzas. It makes sense for those two to be with each other. Right. It doesn't make sense for Bellevue to be with them. But if you go through District 1, it's four Pensacola-area schools, Linhaven, Haven, uh, Mosley and Lynn Haven. That's about an hour down the road, but they're all in the central time zone. District 2 is three Tallahassee schools. That makes sense. And I guess the only re- thing I can come up with for is region and why District 3 is that way is because Fleming Island, Middleburg, Orange Park are all in the same county. And then Beachside and Ponte Vedra are both in St. John's County and about five miles apart. And you'd like to say, OK, well, just take the school that's further south they're really about the same distance north of matanzas they're both about the same distance from matanzas and i guess they couldn't really in their in their minds justify how do we pick one school to go how do we split two schools that are 5 miles apart into different districts you know so that was what i think they were trying to avoid is keep the schools that were right next to each other, almost practically, they're both on County Road 210, like I said, about five miles apart in St. John's County. They were trying to keep from having to split them, and then, of course, the only other alternative would be, (laughs) excuse me, to take one of the Clay County schools, which are both all three further north than the two St. John's schools, and throw them in with the two Palm Coast schools, and you start to spread that district a little too far. Now you've got the two schools that are two hours from Bellevue, and then you're going to throw in a school that's two and a half hours. That's the only explanation I can think of. I would, It would have almost have made more sense to take one of the teams that's in District 5 in the Orlando area and move them into, like, Winter Springs would have made a lot of sense to move Winter Springs or Lyman, who are both outside of Orlando, on, this, on our side of Orlando. It would have made more sense to move one of those schools into that district but again i think they run in the same question of do we want to split schools that are in the same county and it's less than ideal like i said the the positive for Matanzas, there's eight teams playing for 14 spots in the playoffs which brings another th- issue into it and another reason not to like the small districts you're in a three-team district you only have to win two games to make the playoffs. Now, Mainland's one of those two teams. Mainland will have two t- two wins by week two. At worst case, week three. So, mm. the, and then they'll and they, and they will be the team to beat in this district. But in a three team district, it's conceivable that you win one game, you get into a tiebreaker, you win the tiebreaker. And you go one and nine and you're a district champion and in the playoffs, <laughs> which is what the whole point system was designed to prevent. And I don't see how in a region that only has 14 teams and eight teams making it, I don't know how you keep a three and seven and four and six team and a, or a two and eight team out of the bracket because it's such a small region.
0: Yeah. So no, yeah. Go ahead,
1: Mike. Go ahead. And and if they and they haven't said yes or no on whether the super bracket is going to continue the proposal was to have a bracket where the top eight or 16 or 32 teams go into their own bracket. In in the case of Matanzas in this region, I would certainly think if there's an elite bracket, mainland's an elite team, that's probably going to end up in that bracket.
0: Well, I mean, they are state champions, point, right?
1: <laughs> right. So at that point you're talking about 18, 13 teams playing for eight spots. So it's, it's, It's a little bit of a head-scratcher, and I think that this is what we have for two years, just like we had Metro and Suburban for two years, just like we had the uh, two different point systems over the last couple of years that have changed, just like six years ago when we had District Runner-Up and District Champion getting automatic berths, and if you didn't do that, sorry about your luck. I have a feeling that this is only going to be a change for the 24, 25, and 25, 26 school years and by the time we're sitting here in Christmas of 25, we'll be talking about a new alignment for 26, 27. That's just my guess.
0: You're probably right. So just out of curiosity, how about go to class four, a district three of the alma mater, St. Augustine? They, they're they in a four team district. A couple of good, you know, a look at clay. Let's talk about them and, and uh, the competition they'll face and how they stack up there.
1: That is a very good district, and you can hear my computer going haywire as I try to get back to it. But I don't need it. I don't need it unless I want to look at the region, and that's a region that they're kind of in the same boat. Matanzas is where they'll have some panhandle schools in the region, and even them from a district standpoint, kind of makes sense the way those districts were set up. You have the you have the three team district. We're not a fan of it, but the three teams are Pensacola schools. You have another three team, a four team district that's all Panama City Beach area schools. And then you have a four-team district that's St. Augustine's district. That's the one that's a little bit of a head-scratcher. So you have Clay, Ridgeview, and St. Augustine, which all makes sense. And then they threw Columbia in there. And I guess, I think, again, that's a throw-in because they didn't want to put them with the Jacksonville schools. It's a little bit too far to put them with the Panama City schools, although they put Tallahassee Rickards in that district, so maybe that goes out the window. But... It's a balanced district. It's a tough district. You know, St. Augustine's the class of that district, but Clay is another team kinda like Bellevue, where they don't make the play they make the playoffs more than they miss it. They don't always make deep runs, but they're consistently a playoff team. Columbia is a tough team. They were only four and six this year, but in my opinion, were much better than their record belied. They played one of the toughest schedules in the state. But that's a long trip to make for a district game. You and I made that trip, and just a little further, you know, we made a trip to Swanee, which is just a couple of minutes down the road. It's a long trip to have to make for a district game, just like it's going to be for Bellevue to have to come across the state to play teams. But it really, honestly, these are teams, most of these teams are teams that St. Augustine's been with for generations almost. I can remember them playing Escambia and Pine Forest and Washington in the playoffs for the last 25 years. We saw Choctaw against St. Augustine this year and last year and actually Choctaw first came over to St. Augustine in the 1994 playoffs. So they've had to come over here before. And then you you have in Jacksonville, Ed Whites a team they faced in the playoffs. Riverside's a team they faced in the playoffs. Englewood hasn't made the playoffs since dinosaurs roamed the earth, but they Well, wow, that's a long time ago, around. Mike. <laughs> 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 Jurassic <laughs> or Cretaceous
0: Englewood. period.
1: Englewood hasn't been better than five and five in about 25 years. Wow.
0: So there yeah. you go. That, that That's fascinating stuff. Those are the new uh, FHSAA 2024 through 2026 football classifications should be interesting. I, I wish it was football season already, Mike, but at least we got basketball going on, right?
1: <laughs> it's been fun yeah. doing some basketball this year. You know, I love it. It's been tough. Matanzas has had a tough time. We haven't had as much time as with Matanzas. They've only played nine games. They've had issues with cancellations. And, you know, they were supposed to play a game this past Saturday and two teams canceled on them. Mm. Or actually, one team canceled on them and then the officials wouldn't let that game go forward. I don't know if I'm speaking out of order, but basically the way it works is that you have a contract to have your games officiated by a certain association. So you need permission from that association if you want to use officials outside of that. The only reason that they wanted to use officials outside of that is because this game was in St. Augustine and their official association said they would not travel to St. Augustine. And so then it was asked, the question was asked, well, how about if we get an officials association that will travel to St. Augustine? And they said, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. So that's why Matanzas didn't play a game last Friday. Atlantic, who we saw the other night against FPC, not sure why they canceled. They were supposed to play them on, on Thursday night, but Atlantic can't, or excuse me, Friday night. All the days run together, Rich, but <laughs> they were supposed to play Atlantic last night. Matanzas was, and Atlantic canceled. Amazing. They were going to be at the Pooh Bear Williams Invitational Tournament in Crescent City. Pooh Bear Williams, the former Florida State Seminole. Pooh Bear, uh, this is a bit of an aside, but Pooh Bear Williams was a football player at Florida State. Um, he died tragically a couple of years ago. He was my friend TJ when I was in high school. Boo Bear was at Florida State. He was my friend TJ's favorite player because he was a fullback, and all he was was this super huge dude that was just strong and just ran people over and was just an absolute mauler. So wow, a fullback. Remember,
0: rest in peace, Boo yeah. Bear. Yeah,
1: that's how old I am. Rich. We had fullback. <laughs> remember the
0: fullback not- position? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, so that's kind of why we, we've been FPC-heavy on the schedule on the WNZF Sports Network here early in the season. Um, and speaking of FPC, 5-6 and six now. We saw that win, as you mentioned, against Atlantic, 57-52, 5-6 on the year. But, man, this team fights. I I really uh, like what Coach Talley is doing, and you mentioned it before the show. Every game is close. You look at their losses. They, they lost to, to uh, Gateway, 59-55. Uh, Menendez, sixty one fifty six, uh New Smyrna Beach. I, th- I think we were at that one, 55-50. Another 50 You were, one, yes. Yeah, Father, I was right. Father Lopez, they lost sixty fifty eight, and Father Lopez having a great year. So, FPC, man, they are in every single game. And we saw in that Atlantic game, Mike, that they were able to finish in that game and, and, and played a pretty complete game. And I think that's uh, what Coach Talley's been preaching all year
1: and they and they play on both sides of the floor so it's they're not a team that fills up the bucket but they're also not a team that s- runs a stall and tries to keep the score down they just play fundamentally sound basketball I- i'll tell you i didn't tell you this which actually i meant to tell you this but you know like i was too busy eating cookies probably <laughs> to tell you this but me too when i went down to talk to coach tally after the game i was waiting for him to come out of the locker room and i heard Nate Sean Royal and this tells you the mindset of this team I heard him say to one of his teammates, man, I've got to find a way to stay out of tr- foul trouble. And he, 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 it's just, you see where their mindset is. It, it wasn't, man, the officials were were ridiculous. You know, I got screwed on calls. It was, I have to do a better job. And you see nation Royal when he's on the floor. He's a brilliant player. But I just thought that kind of mentality, I think that says a lot for the makeup of this team, that he didn't make any excuses. He said he had, to, he had to play better. You know, he has to be smarter, and he has to keep himself out of foul trouble. And while he was in and foul trouble that game,
0: Mike, you know, he still made impactful plays on the game, big steals in the second half. You know, while he was out there, like I said, when he's out there, he makes a difference. He's a contributor.
1: And they get contributions from so many players. Now, Jameer Clark, he's been the explosive player. He's been filling up the bucket, and he had a great night against Atlantic with 26 points. You saw him get hot early, but other guys have stepped up. Kamarian Lang stepped up, you know, um, Corinthians Watson is injured and you saw Anthony Hampton step up and take his role, kind of doing, kind of taking on the, you know, the offensive glass and defensive glass duties of being the primary rebounder. You saw Kamarian Lang continue to be a menace in the backcourt, really, dictating how that team is on defense. And then on offense, you see guys like Matt Rodriguez. He's, he's, he's not yet. He all his points were at the free throw line, but guess what? He hit those free throws. He got to the free throw line and he controls the offense. He directs the team. And you see this team playing as a cohesive unit. And it's been something to see just, I always look at, this is how I always judge coaches. How did you look in your first game? How did you look in your sec last game? And we're still a long way from that last game, but we have seen, over the last six weeks, we've seen that FPC team improve. Yeah,
0: for sure, and, and they've looked really good, and, and the basketball will continue here in the new year. Our next game on the WNZF Sports Network, you find that on the Flagler Radio YouTube channel, also broadcasting on the WNZF Facebook page now. Our next game will be January 6th, and that will be at the ship as Matanzas takes on Ridgeview when... The crosstown showdown, the potato bowl, whatever you want to call it, January seventeenth. Battle for Beltaire. Yeah, I like that. Battle for Beltaire. Thank you, Mike. Uh, that'll be January seventeenth on uh, WNZF on the radio side, and as well on the WNZF Sports Network. Mike, I had to. We have a couple of minutes here. I, I got to get your take as Yankee fans. Yamamoto, you, you know, a lot of Yankee fans wanted him. Big star over in Japan gets the uh, three hundred twenty-five million dollar contract. From the Dodgers, they edge out the Mets in that department. Same offer. Yankees at $300 million. A lot of people felt like he was coming to the Bronx. Didn't happen. As a Yankee fan, what's your take on that?
1: $325 million is a lot of money to throw at a pitcher who has never pitched in the major leagues. On top of that, a 12-year deal for a pitcher? That's wild. If I'm going to take 325 million and I'm going to commit it to somebody over 12 years, I'd rather have Juan Soto until 2036 than Yamamoto simply because you you feel like there's a good chance that you're going to get a lot of value out of a contract with a player like a position player, especially one as young as Soto versus a pitcher and there's been some issues with Japanese pitchers adjusting to the major leagues, because in Japan they play six games a week, and the pitcher pitches once a week. In the major leagues, you're going to pitch every fourth, every fifth day, and sometimes on four days on the fourth day. So there's an adjustment there. There's a it's a longer schedule. So instead of making starting. 25 to 28 games a year. You're going to start 30 to 32, and you start to break down, and that's any pitcher. You see that happening to pitchers regardless of where they come from. So to expect to have a pitcher for 12 years with that kind of production just seemed like a a big stretch. Well, I I get what you're saying.
0: Very very little time here, so let me just get my take in here. I get what you're saying, Mike, Um, but at the same time with the Yankees, none none of that seems to be the issue here. The Yankees offered 300 million dollars 10 years. And when I see the New York Yankees of the past when they wanted somebody, they would not be outbid. All right? And when you see the Dodgers offered 325 million, the Mets offered 325 million, and the Yankees didn't match that offer, at least if we had the three teams with the 325 and see what he chooses then, then we're all on equal footing. For the Yankees to, to go out there and say they wanted this guy. Cashman went and, and, and saw the no-hitter in Japan. They give him the number 18 jersey. The whole thing. And the Yankees, the way they operate these days, you're going to let $25 million, at least even up to score, offer uh, three twenty five, and let's see where he chooses to go. Maybe he always wanted to, to play with Otani, with the Dodgers, and everything. But this is just, in my opinion, another example of, of how the Yankees just don't operate like the Yankees anymore. The 12 years, the the $325 who cares? It's their money. It doesn't even matter. If they were the Yankees, they would sign Yamamoto this year. They would sign Soto next year. But instead, we're in the era of, oh, well, if we sign Yamamoto, we're not going to be able to sign Juan Soto next year because, oh, man, that's a lot of money. This is supposed to be the Yankees. They let $25 million determine the fate of the, the jewel of the offseason, regardless of what you think about him. You know, never thrown a pitch in the majors, hasn't proven himself yet, but you still offered $300 million 10 years. Why not offer three twenty-five and let's see where the chips fall? They're just, they're just, I, they're just not the Yankees anymore, and, it, and it's frustrating to see them do business like that. Everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We will see you next time. That's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Happy Holidays.